Thanks for joining us today at Launch Point Church in Lebanon, Tennessee. We believe the Bible is the written word of God without error and useful for every part of our lives. We believe that through learning and teaching of the word, others might come to know God, find freedom, discover their purpose, and make a difference. Thanks again and enjoy today's message from Pastor Jim Q. There are, there are certain times of the year that you know or can expect that the pastor is going to preach on a very specific thing. For example, during Christmas, the pastor is almost always going to talk about the birth of Jesus, right? Because it's Christmas, and that's what Christmas is about. And so you would be surprised if you came in here at Christmas and I decided to talk about something else because it's not historically or traditionally what's done on Christmas. Easter, you come in, you expect a resurrectional sermon. Because it's what we talk about on Easter. It's the reason Easter exists, and you'd be surprised if I did something else. We honor mothers on Mother's Day, fathers on Father's Day. During Thanksgiving, I usually do a a Thanksgiving series, and in fact, that's what I intended to do between now and Thanksgiving. I was going to start a series today titled Thankful Thinking, and just talk about how it is that and why, and all the reasons we have to be thankful. And so, but, about three weeks ago, after I'd already written up the synopsis and a rough outline for the sermons and all that, God does what God does, and He says, Hey boy, you weren't paying attention when I talked to you the first time, so let me tell you again, you're not teaching that, you're teaching something else. And He gave me what we're about to start, the sermon series, Fear Not, The Unlikely Cure for Anxiety. And I was like, honestly, when I wrote it down, it made a little bit of sense to me, but not a whole lot. But this is what I believe God wants us to know. That it doesn't matter what's going on in the world. It doesn't matter that the election is coming up. How many of you guys are freaked out about the election? Can I tell you, don't be. God's neither Republican, Democrat, Libertarian. He's none of those things. He's not a write-in candidate. He's still God. And so we don't have to fear. We shouldn't fear. If we learn to fear the Lord, then we fear nothing else. And by fear, I don't mean this terrifying crumble up in a ball, although there's a There's a place for that. I believe if God manifested Himself in this room today, that's exactly what we would do, and rightfully so. Everybody that was ever in the presence of God fell immediately to their face in the Scripture, and there's room on the floor for all of us. But I'm not talking about that kind of fear. I'm talking about reverential fear. A fear that shows great and deep respect. A fear that stands in awe of how big our God is is amazed by how big our God is. If we could learn how big our God is, we would recognize that we have very little to worry about, and it truly would cure our anxiety. Amen? And so that's what I'm going to talk about. For the next few weeks, we're going to talk about that. We shouldn't be concerning ourselves with what goes on in the world. I'm not asking myself the question, what happens if so-and-so wins? Because I don't care on a spiritual level. What I am doing is making a spiritual declaration of the fact that it doesn't matter who wins because Jesus has already won. 
And because Jesus has already won, I can stand boldly and confidently knowing that I know that I know that there is no reason to fear. There's no reason to have anxiety. There's no reason to feel the pressure that the world wants to put on us. God has called us to something else because the omni-God is for us. What I mean by omni is the Bible says He's omniscient, omnipresent omnipotent which means all-powerful all-present all-knowing he's everywhere he's stronger than anything and because of all of these things the bible says in romans chapter 8 if he is for us if that god is for us then who can be against us and this is a truth that we have to come to not at a level where we just feel good about it on sunday but where we on tuesday afternoon we feel good about it on Thursday morning, we feel good about it. We know that our life is fleeting anyway, and so we declare in Jesus' name that our confidence doesn't come from our circumstance. It comes from our position. And our position is in Christ Jesus. And if we are positioned in Christ Jesus, and God is for us, who can be against us? And the answer to that question is nobody. Psalms 118, 5 and 6 says this, From my distress I called upon the Lord. Anybody ever done that? Anybody ever call upon the Lord when you're under distress? Let me, let me rephrase it this way. You ever make a 911 call to the Lord? I have. So he says, From my distress I called upon the Lord. The Lord answered me, which in itself is a miracle. The creator of the universe listens to us and answers our prayer. It says, My distress I called upon the Lord, and the Lord answered me and set me in a large place. The Lord is for me. Everybody say, The Lord is for me. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Man, I feel like we should take it. Take a sticky note and put it on our mirror, whatever mirror we get ready in in the morning. Those three statements, the Lord is for me, I will not fear, what can man do to me? The Lord is for me, I will not fear, what can man do to me? The answer is nothing. The answer is nothing. So this is what I want to talk about today. How as we come to understand who God is, the anxiety in us is destroyed. It doesn't matter what's going on in our situation or in our world or, or what I've dealt with or the stupid decisions that I've made that have caused me to be in the place that I'm in. God's bigger than all of those things. All of those things. But in order to fear Him, to truly revere Him, to respect Him, to stand in awe of Him, we have to know Him. Which is the reason why He gave us His Word, as a revelation of Himself. And so there's one thing that I, you're going to hear me repeat, not just today, but through this whole series, because it's the one thing that I want you to remember. I told you guys, Pastor Rick, who's on vacation right now, always asked me, what's the one thing you want people to walk away from or with? This is it. If you know Him, 
you will fear him. And if you fear him, you will fear nothing else. I don't know that I've ever preached a sermon that I, that I desire more greatly for you to grab a hold of than this one, this series, in this situation, and in the environment we live in. Christians have allowed themselves to be molded and meek and walked upon and have allowed themselves to walk in confusion and to battle one another for reasons that are beyond me. Well, the reasons aren't beyond me. The reasons are because we're scared. What should we be scared of? Because the Lord is for me. I will not fear because man can do nothing to me. Amen? And so today I want to talk to you, I want to teach a, ser a series titled Fear of the Lord, the unlikely cure for anxiety, but the title of this teaching is Here is Your God. That's out of verse 9 of Isaiah chapter 40. It says, Here is Your God. And that's what I want to do. I want to show you. I, I, I'll be honest with you, what I'm going to do today is probably one of the less theologically deep teachings I've ever done. I'm just going to, I feel like I just, I'm holding a platter with a lid on it, and I just want to take it off and show you the God that you serve. I just want to show you the God you serve. Because when you recognize the God that you serve, you'll recognize his significance, his power, his ability, his strength, his provision, his protection. Here is your God. Your God is great. I'm going to teach three bullet points, essentially, and here's the first one. Your God is greater than any created thing. Your God is greater than any created thing. I'm just wanting to expose God to you. Verses 12 through 17 of 40 read like this. Who has measured the water in the hollow of his hand and marked off the heavens by the span and calculated the dust of the earth by the measure and weighed the mountains in the balance and the hills in a pair of scales? I know I said 12 through 17. I'm going to get there in a minute. But let me spend some time in just verse 12 for a minute. The God that you see, these are all, of course, rhetorical questions because they don't need to be answered. God did all of these things. God measured the waters in the hollow of His hand. All the waters in the earth, God is capable of controlling. That's what the Word of God says. Two-thirds of the earth is covered with water, and some of that up to six miles deep. And God holds it and controls it in the hollow of His hand. For fun, I filled my, my hand up with water. Just see how much I could do. I took a little measuring spoon, a little measuring cup. I can hold just under a tablespoon of water in my hand. God holds it all. God controls it all. Not just the water, but everything the water represents. Everything that's in the water. All the power, all the strength that is found in all the oceans, all the rivers, all the lakes. God holds that kind of power. And if God holds that kind of power, 
just merely in the hollow of His hand. He's capable of taking care of you. He is greater than anything that's been created because He created it. Not just the waters, though. He says, And marked off the heavens by the span of His hand. I want you all to think about the universe for a minute. A light year. These numbers are so big. You guys ever see a number so big it doesn't mean anything to you because you can't wrap your mind around it anyway? So I'm not going to spend a lot of time in the numbers, but let me tell you, a single light year is the time it takes for light to travel in a year. Uh, at 86,000 miles a second. Light travels at 86,000 miles a second. That times a year, however many seconds that is, and there are 93 billion of those years in the known universe. That's like a lot of trips to and from Nashville. Really super fast. Do you get what I'm saying? Just in the known universe. And don't be foolish if you think that we know the entire universe. 93 billion light years at 83,000 miles a second. It would take 93 billion years for us to get to the end of the known universe. And guess what? Once we got there, we'd see more unknown, previously unknown, now known universe. Why does that give me comfort? Why does that destroy my fear? Because God knows every inch of it. God knows every millimeter of it. He knows every star in it. He not only knows the stars, He created them, placed them, and named them. Every star, every planet, every moon, every celestial anything, God placed, named it. The smallest planet in the smallest galaxy god knows where that is he knows what that is made of he knows where the smallest mountain on the smallest planet is located and he knows what that mountain's made of and he knows the smallest rock on the smallest mountain on the smallest planet and he knows what that rock is made of why does that bring me comfort because if he knows that about something that was just created to show us how magnificent he is, then he knows everything about us. He created the universe. We're the jewel of his creation. The heavens exist to glorify God. And if he knows everything about all of that, and that was created for you to recognize him, how much more do you think he cares about you? How much more do you think he sees you? Knows what you're made of. Knows what you've dealt with. And he's conscious of you all the time. He knows your name. According to the word of God, has it carved in the palm of his hand. He knows the number of hairs on your head. Even the decreasing ones. He knows you and knows you intimately. 
and we fear and we worry we have anxiety when a god that can hold the power of all the water and knows the universe and created it just for our pleasure so that we might glorify him in it so that we might see him in it watches over us why do we worry the earth mountains and hills he made all of them says he put them in a pair of scales in a balance i know god created all the earth or the earth in a day now he populated it and different stuff like that during different days but he made the earth in a day and i know he just did it by the power of his voice but in my mind i see him making mountains like this like kids playing in sand right And he's just, he's just working the Rocky Mountains like they're nothing. He's like, this one would look cool if it, if it peaked out real high, and then this one's a little flatter. And he just formed every little thing and oversaw every little thing. And he knew and placed it exactly where he intended to place it. And it says that that's just a small measure of his strength, of his power, of his ability. If you look at that word, that measure, it means it's small like a, like a court mason jaw. That's how much energy God used to get that done. Probably less than that, but he had to put it in some way we would understand it. And we worry. God takes care of all of these things. Nobody had to teach him anything. Verses 13 through 14 says... Who has directed the spirit of the Lord? Or as his counselor has informed him? With whom did he consult? And who gave him understanding? And who taught him in the path of justice? And taught him knowledge and informed him of the way of understanding? Who? Who? Whom? Who? These again are rhetorical questions. So ignorant they don't require an answer. Because the answer is nobody. Nobody taught our God anything. I think it's incredible. It quite honestly blows my mind. It's one of the things that I've tried and tried and tried to grasp about the God that we serve, and I can't get my head around it. But there's a couple things that God can't do. A couple of them are pretty simple. We all understand He can't lie. He can't improve. Because if He improved, He wouldn't be perfect right now because He'd have nothing to, something to improve on. But the thing that gets me is that we serve a God that has never learned anything. That messes me up. I think probably as a lifelong learner, I love to read. God has never learned anything. And we reason with God. God, are you sure I'm supposed to do that? If I do that, man, I may not be able to provide for my family. Are you sure I'm supposed to do that? If I do that, I can place myself in danger. Are you sure I'm supposed to go be a missionary in Africa? Don't you know they kill missionaries in Africa? And God says, yeah, I know. You're not teaching me anything. And God looks at us and talks to us like he talks to Job, or sometimes I wish he would, but then at the same time I think, God, I hope he never does, because it would freak me out. But in Job, he says this. He says, stand up that I may address you as a man. Which means, stand up, boy. Apparently, you don't get it. Let me explain something to you. 
And then God dresses Job down and Job's friend. Did you set the boundaries of the ocean? No. Did you tell the stars where to lie? No. Did you do this or that or the other thing? No. The answer is always no because God's never learned anything. He's always known everything. And because He's always known everything and His wisdom is eternal, His perspective is eternal, He can be trusted, which means that we should walk without anxiety. But what if I die? To live is Christ, to die is gain. As long as I'm here on this earth, I'll declare Jesus with every breath that I have. And the second I die, I'll glorify God because I finally gained that which I've worked for my whole life. If that happens before the end of this sermon, then I'm still gaining. People say, well, what if so-and-so does such and so? What if the government shuts churches down and the military or law enforcement come in and, and violently shut the church down? Who cares? Because you're not shutting a church down. You're closing this building. You know what we're going to do? We're going to divide up in groups of ten and we're going to meet at your house. We're going to meet at Dallas's house. We're going to meet at Reddit's house. And we're going to glorify the Lord together. Because God's bigger than any of those things. He can't learn anything. He can't be taught anything. And the quicker we realize how big He is, how great He is, the God that we serve, the more we realize that our life really is a vapor and a mist and whatever happens in it, but for His glory means nothing. Well, Pastor Jim, that's easy for you to say, man. you got a nice sport coat on. You drive a nice car. This sport coat was on sale. <laughs> and I got a really good deal on my car. But I was a runaway for a year when I was 14 years old in the streets of downtown Dallas. But I'll tell you then, or I'll tell you now, that that doesn't matter. Because God, God had a plan for me. And He had a plan for you. And sometimes that means there's going to be struggle. There's going to be pain. There's going to be uncomfortability. But you know what? God's still in control. God's still in charge. God still can't learn anything. Man, that's good. He's never been taught anything. He's greater than nations. He's greater than the forests of Lebanon. Or any beast. I love this verse. 15 through 17 reads like this. Behold, the nations are like a drop from a bucket, which means nothing, insignificant, and are regarded as a speck of dust on the scales, which means all of the nations are so irrelevant. If you were to put all of their wealth, all of their territory, all of their influence on a scale of eternity, they wouldn't even move the scale. They're like dust. They're completely irrelevant. No one cares. And we're all, well, Pastor Jim, what about, what, what about North Korea? What about China? Ain't you heard we're at war with China? Or what about Russia interfering with our presidential stuff? What about it? Guy's in charge? 
then it don't matter. Because he's bigger than all those things. He says, Behold, he lifts up the islands like fine dust. Even Lebanon is not enough to burn, nor its beasts enough for a burnt offering. All the nations are as nothing before him. They are regarded by him as less than nothing and meaningless. Let's attack this a little bit at a time. All the forests of Lebanon aren't enough to burn, and all the animals aren't enough for a burnt offering. You know what that means? Cut every tree down. Use it as an altar to burn a sacrifice of every animal on the earth. And it won't be enough to glorify the God that we serve. And we worry? What are we worrying about? Well, we worry about all these other nations. Dropping a bucket according to the word of God. Insignificant. Dust on a scale. All of them. I love this verse. Well, I'm skipping ahead, I think. But it's all right. I'm going to do it anyway. Proverbs 21.1 The king's heart is like channels of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he wishes. You catch that? We worry about we worry about our our nation. We worry about what's going to happen to it. What's going to happen to us within it? One of the main reasons why I felt compelled to do this series is because the election's coming up. At the end of the day, God's still going to be on the throne. I'm going to say something that's I hope this doesn't make you mad. If it does, you can get your heart right. God's not a Republican. He's not a Democrat either. He's not a Libertarian. Jesus wasn't swaddled in an American flag. God is sovereign. And if you don't think He'll take care of you, you haven't known him the way that you should. Well, if so-and-so gets in power, I'm going to lose my rights to such and such. You have the rights that God gave you. And because God gave them to you, no one can take them away from you anyway. And Lord be it. This is a hard word. We suffer a little persecution in America. You know, I've always struggled between attention of praying for no persecution and praying for persecution. Because I don't want to go through persecution. But you know what I know? I know that the church, the kingdom of God, has always grown in persecution. And so am I more worried about my comfort? Or the growth of the kingdom of God. At the end of the day, God's greater. God's greater than all of these things. But we have to believe that's true. We have to know that that's true. And we worry. We wouldn't worry if we knew God. Because to know Him is to fear Him. 
And to fear him is to fear nothing else. Amen? Not only is he greater than any created thing, though, it's by, in eight, verses 18 through 20, says he's greater than any idol. It reads like this. It says, to whom then will you liken God? Or what likeness will you compare with him? As for the idol, a craftsman casts it. A goldsmith plates it with gold. A silversmith fashions chains of silver. He who is too impoverished for such an offering selects a tree that does, does not rot. He seeks out for himself a skillful craftsman to prepare an idol that will not totter. God's greater than any of those things that we've placed before him. You're all, Pastor Jim, why are you telling me God's greater than any idol? I love God. I don't have any idols in my life. Don't you? Because an idol these days doesn't have to be a grave, an engraved image. It's anything that you place in front of the God that you're supposed to be serving. It's the guy who says, you know what, man? I'm, I stayed up all night last night watching football or getting drunk with my friends. And so I'm going to skip church today. Football and or getting drunk with your friends is an idol because you put it in front of God. Well, I got to work, man. I'm not going to church on Sunday. When you volunteered for a shift, you didn't have to work. That's an idol in your life. I'm not telling you don't work on Sunday. Everybody's got to have a Sabbath. So you need a day off. But if you choose to forsake so that you might feel a little bit more padded, that's an idol in your life. Angela and I quit watching football a couple of years ago, one, before they started whining about every little thing. Like we, we were boycotting before boycotting was cool. But this is why we were boycotting. Because we were sitting in our living room one day and we muted the TV as they panned the stadium. And people are standing there and they got their hands in the air and they're worshiping football and I thought man how awesome would it be if people were that excited in the church how awesome would it be when a greatness of God was declared and people stood to their feet and they screamed and they hollered or when they sang out worship to God they believed it with everything that was in them to the degree that they bought Jesus jerseys at $375 a piece because you want the real one Those are idols in our lives. It's time that the church get rid of the idols in our lives. Most of us fear because we've replaced God with something else. For some of us, anxiety has become the idol in our life. We spend more time worshiping our worry than we do the God that relieves our worry. You spend six hours in front of CNN all geeked out and freaked out because of the news but when I preach more than 40 minutes, you get mad. Amen. You got an idol in your life. God speaks very specifically against such things. Exodus 30, correction, 23 through 5. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an idol of any likeness. Football basketball soccer i don't get that 
but people dig it, I guess. Any likeness of what is in heaven or above or on the earth, beneath or in the water under the earth, you shall not worship them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. God's jealous. You ever known somebody that's jealous? You know, it's a sin when we do it. Did you know that? Well, we make it sinful when we do it. I'm jealous of the love I have for my wife. I don't want her to love anybody else. But God deserves to be jealous because he loves you perfectly. God loves you perfectly. <laughs> what? How many of you guys have ever been hurt in a relationship? How many of you guys have hurt somebody else in a relationship? God's never done any of those things to you. He loves you with a perfect love and is a jealous God that he's not going to share you with anyone. Especially your, your worry. I've seen so many people take God off of the place of worship and put their worry there. They're all, God, I'm going to... I'm going to trust you with this. But they leave it and take God out of the way so that they can worship it and see it and look at it and think about it and breathe about it and sluice sleep over it. God's a God of peace. If he's a God of peace, if he is peace, if he is shalom, and anything that is not of peace is not of God. You need to put God back in his altar. Back in the altar where he belongs. Take your worry. Give it to him, but leave it with him. Don't leave it in replacement of him. Amen? And then finally, God's greater than any authority. 21 through 26 reads like this. Do you not know? Have you not heard? Has it not been declared to you from the beginning? Have you not understood from the foundation of the earth? It is he who sits above the circle of the earth and its inhabitants are like grasshoppers. What? God is so big that we look like grasshoppers. We're insignificant, but that he loves us, which gives us significance, which means anything that would come against us is still like grasshoppers. He's still hovering over them. They are still insignificant. He still has the ability to take care of you and crush that which would come against you. And spreads them out like a tent to dwell in. He it is who reduces rulers to nothing, who makes the judges of the earth meaningless. Scarcely have, been, have they been planted. Scarcely have they been sown. Scarcely has their flock taken root in the earth. But he merely blows on them, and they wither. That's so good. And the storm carries them away like stubble. You know why that's good? For this reason right here. He it is who reduces rulers to nothing, who makes the judges of the earth meaningless. 
Scarcely have they been planted. Scarcely have they been sown. Scarcely has their stock taken root in the earth. But he blows on them and they wither and the storm carries them away. See, we have a hard time grasping the fact that that there was a time, especially when this was written, where kings ruled authoritatively. Their voice commanded everything. They were the judge, the jury, the legislature, the executive branch. They were everything. They said it, it was done. Off with your head, your head's off. But God says this. He says, they've barely been planted. They barely been sown. They barely took up root before they wither away and I blow them away. They're nothing. They're insignificant. Why are you putting your trust, your hope in someone else? In another authority? Put your hope and trust in God through Christ Jesus. And so here we are back at the vote and we're wondering, well, Pastor Jim, I, I want to vote, but I don't know that either one of these guys are Christian. I've heard that. How do you support so-and-so? He's not Christian. But then I've heard other people talk about the other guy and say, how do you support that? He's not Christian. You know what I do? I vote my convictions. My convictions come out of this word. Whether either candidate is godly or not, not my problem. Because you know who else wasn't a Christian? Cyrus. Cyrus wasn't a Christian. But God used him to deliver the people out of Babylonian captivity and send them home. Isn't that awesome? You know who else wasn't a Christian? The Pharaoh. Pharaoh wasn't a Christian. But God used him to free his people. You know who else wasn't a Christian? Paul. But God used him pre-salvation to persecute the church that it might be scattered that the gospel might grow, might grow and go. Trust in the word. Trust in God. Fear him. Know that he sees you. Know that he's not going to let you down. Know that he's going to take care of you. Know that whatever your problem is, he is bigger. He is greater. No matter what created thing is, he's greater. No matter what idol you place in your life, remove it. He's greater. No matter what authority says or does, he is greater. He is greater. And he has a promise for you. And this is it. Why do you say, O Jacob, and assert, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord, and the justice due me escapes the notice of my God? You guys ever done that? You ask yourself, why am I going through all this stuff? I got no justice. Why ain't God acting on my behalf? I try to do the right thing. My life still sucks. This is what he says. Do you not know? Have you not heard? The everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, does not become weary or tired. 
His understanding is inscrutable. He gives strength to the weary, and to him who lacks might, he increases power. What are you worried about? Not only does he see the injustice placed upon you, it says that he will strengthen you, that he will walk with you, that he sees you, that he understands you, that he will increase your power. Though youth grows weary and tired. Anybody in this room weary and tired? Though youth grows weary and tired, the vigorous young men stumble badly, yet those who wait for the Lord will gain new strength. Y'all, man, I need strength. Wait on the Lord. I need to know that regardless of what happens in the world, I'm going to be okay. Wait for the Lord. I need to know that come November 4th, I'm going to be okay. Wait for the Lord. What happens to the stock market? Wait for the Lord. Wait for the Lord, which means hope for the Lord. Hope on the Lord. Place your trust in the Lord. Yet those who wait for the Lord will gain new strength. They will mount up with wings like eagles. They will run and not get tired. They will walk and not become weary. So what's the point? What's the point in everything I've told you today? God's bigger than your problem. God's bigger than your situation. God's bigger than your tired. God's bigger than the family issue that you have. God's bigger than the addiction you've dealt with. God's bigger than the divorce you went through or going through or thinking about going through. God's a healer and capable of fixing all of those things. I'm just here to open the plate and go, here is your God. Why do you worry? Why do you walk in anxiety? God not only supplies your need, but has surrounded you with people to supply your need. He has strengthened you by the power of His Holy Spirit and never has ever left you alone. Next time you think that you're alone, think about that small pebble on that small mountain, on that small planet. And remember that He cares more about you than He cares about that. But He knows exactly where that's at. Amen? My prayer today is that you come to a realization that God loves you and that He is great enough to deal with whatever it is you're dealing with. Let's pray. Father God, in Jesus' name, we love you and thank you that you are exactly that. That you are great enough and big enough to deal with whatever problem we, we're dealing with. God, we just ask that by the power of your Holy Spirit, you give us the ability to stop dealing with it. That you give us the strength to let it go and turn it over to you. God, your word says that you're greater than the created thing, greater than any idol we've placed in our life, greater than any authority, greater than any election, greater than any lack or deficiency. God, you're greater than all things. And so, God, we rely on your greatness. We declare the majesty of who you are, the magnificence of who you are, your beauty. God, we just praise you today. And we thank you for who you are, that you sent your son Jesus as we began to talk, as we began with. God, so that we might have eternal life. Because the victory has already been won. 
We thank you, Heavenly Father, that your grace is amazing. And because you're amazing, we trust, God, that it will be, it will be good. It is good. And that all is well with our souls. God, we praise you and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.